Hello and welcome to episode 54 of Creative Waffle. I am your host Mark Irons from Blue Deer Design and today we're chatting to Miles Newland. Miles is a specialist in brand typography with over 20 years experience. He has worked with some of the world's biggest brands, from the Tate Gallery to the Olympic Games in 2012, 3 and EE Mobile and the famous Unilever logo. Now you've heard of the work I've just mentioned but you may not have heard of Miles' name. As he mentions in this interview, he does like to let the work do the talking and him keep out of the spotlight. I thoroughly enjoyed meeting up with Miles and having pizza with him. Uh, this is a fantastic episode. I've really enjoyed chatting with him. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks very much, and I'll see you at the end. This is my chat with Miles Newland. How do you introduce yourself when you're speaking or when you're meeting someone new? How do I introduce yeah. myself? What, like, what do you say what, as what? <laughs> I don't think I ever have, actually. But I would just say that I, uh, if I needed to now, I would just say I'm a, a type designer specialising in, in brand, really. That's the way that my sort of career has, has started from the very beginning. I started doing type design at college at St. Martin's and, and always felt that the best customers for type would be corporate clients for me. That seemed the best. I was never interested in book design or or designing well designing typefaces for books or editorial. It was always I, I I don't know, I guess I was always fascinated by the idea of private types, type typefaces that were used by one client that were expressed over quite a specific thing. Uh, and so perhaps I'd hope that I wouldn't need an introduction. But um, yeah. Uh, because I'm because I'm quite specialised. If I'm speaking to somebody, they generally do know what I'm what I'm there to do. Yeah, they've obviously made a name for yourself, so it's just sort of yeah. you know why why they're coming yeah. to you. You're coming to them. Or... Yeah. Uh, so you said like, you've been self-employed the whole time, have you? Mm. Yeah. So that's something that's sort of, yeah, I'm proud of that. Yeah. I've never had a job. See, that's what that's what Anthony Barrow said as well, and that's something I want. I sort of want to do. Oh really? Did he? He's never never no, gone full time. Yeah. So that's something I want to hopefully do as well. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> so well, weird. when I graduated in 91, like I was saying before we started the uh, interview, I started, I went to St. Martin's in 88 in the, you know, in, in, in the boom of the 80s, uh, and then graduated in 91 where all the agencies were actually getting rid of people rather than taking on. So there was not a chance of getting a job then. From the, I think the, that made me realise that, um, what's the point of, of of going for a full-time job if as soon as the work dries up they let you go yeah. when there's an opportunity actually to build yourself something a career uh, and you know you're not going to let yourself go are you? Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean that's so just sounded like a really solid option to me yeah um, whilst I love a kind of the idea of having I mean I, I, I really enjoy working with creative directors but I don't really buy into the idea of having a boss. Mm. Maybe that the, the whole the old boss thing maybe is an old-fashioned concept today. But back when I was nineteen or something, the boss having a boss sounded like such a bad idea. That, well, yeah, I agree. So I, just, I obviously been working. I worked in a few agencies um, as a freelance sort of, and, and an intern. And I just feel a bit suffocated by a boss, like having someone next to you and telling you what to do. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you feel the same. Or, well, I. I I've never actually experienced it, fortunately. The creative yeah. directors that I've worked with have, have, or I mean, the best ones for me have, 
giving me the kick in the ass to push me to do better work and try harder and yeah. and, and think in different directions and that's you know that's exactly what I need. I, mean, I think that the best work is is done in collaboration with other people. Otherwise, if we just do work on our own as designers, we it it sort of feels like it goes down a different path, maybe a bit more towards self-expression. Uh, for me, anyway, if I if I'm doing stuff on my own now, I kind of make the d decision if I want to do stuff really on my own, then it's it becomes art or painting or something like that. Uh, if I'm doing work for a client, I, I other than the odd logo, if uh, which I can do sort of solo, but when it comes to type and designing typefaces, the work is always much better if it's if it's if there's a couple of minds on the team, a couple, you know, two sets of eyes and a dialogue. Uh, has there has there ever been like a because obviously. With me, I got a bit of a push to try and get a job and be 19 living at home. I got people are telling me to get a job and uh, yeah. that sort of thing. Or but has there ever been anything like that for you? So anyone ever told you? Um, Miles, get a job. Yeah. Yeah, mum and dad. Yeah. Every day of my life. Yeah. Uh, God, yeah, so wrong. I didn't listen to them ever again. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I th you know, I think that if that's a generational thing. They always wanted this, you know, thought security. that there was security within within having a job. And perhaps there was if you worked for the local council or the NHS, um, which is which was their background, or education, which was my dad's background. And I, I think you know that, that that get a job thing was such only motivated by a worry that you know I would find myself on hard times and yeah. and. I don't know, maybe they just didn't like the thought of that and didn't want to have to rescue me out of some financial problem. Yeah, um, I suppose that's the same support, isn't it, at the end of the day? It's yeah, yeah. I think giving a job is better as well, you know. I'd like to be in a position where I can give other people yeah. work rather than just be, um, you know, in, in receipt of, of, uh, of work. And that's only happened more recently. Um, in my business, uh, it makes me really happy and very satisfied to be able to work with the other guys and girls in the you know that I kind of consider the Newlin team now, uh, and without whom, really, there just would it wouldn't be what it is at all. I wouldn't be able to manage the amount of work that, that I take on, and the work wouldn't be anywhere near as as such an amazing quality. And you know, I work for, I work from home, which is fairly isolating. Uh, there's no point in me getting another office close by because there's still, uh, unless I did an office share sort of thing. But the the rest of the team are all in different parts of the world, um, so and we all work from home, and it seems to really suit type designers. Yeah. Um, and gives us loads of flexibility in terms of lifestyle and raising a family as well. It's kind of nice. Works that works well with working from home, so long as you sort of forget the idea of there being some sort of work-life balance, and just yeah. accept that you know it's all one thing. Then, then you know it's it's very satisfying. So work, the work-life balance sort of thing that's something that I've tried to think about a bit more this year. Um, it was in twenty eighteen, New Year sort of resolution. Yeah, but it's it doesn't really happen, does it? It's sort of sort of blends into one because you'd be watching something on the computer and 
don't know, in your free time, and then just yeah. to get an email or something, or, or something will pop up and you'll just answer an email, or... That's, that's exactly right, something. yeah, it's just, but you, you can't control it. You can, yeah. you can try, and you can just go, okay, I'm going to switch the, you know, it's just, it's like a mobile. Do you, how often do you actually switch it off? Mine is never off, yeah. No, it's never <laughs> off, is it? So, yeah. so if, if and, and, and those devices have everything on them, other than, you know, maybe you know, Adobe Creative Suite, but... Yeah. That's not fun day. Probably not far off. No. Um, so you're never really switching it off. Really, we kind of live and live and work as as one thing. But perhaps that's the natural way of things. It's only maybe with the industrial revolution or something, you know, fairly recent in terms of history that we've divided work time and yeah. and and um, non-work time so so distinctly. Uh, if you work on a farm, you, you're a farmer. And that's it. You know what I mean. And uh, it doesn't doesn't stop at any particular time. And I think so. It's probably quite a natural way of of living. So think of it. Think about sort of obviously nine to five has an impact on that because that's where I think it comes from. Everyone was stopping at five, going home there from their life. Um, yeah. And, think and that has that. its own problems, doesn't it? Commuting, yeah. travel to work, and um, well, the truck the train up here was packed like sardines in a in a tin. So yeah. Wouldn't like to do that every day. No, I couldn't be happy. And the time wasted in life, gosh, many people spend yeah, hours three, days. four hours a day doing that. I mean, you know, they work on the train, but that's not for me. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering, how did you get your name out there and establish yourself from the, from the beginning? Because I was really lucky because Emigre did it for me, really. Um, and David Carson helped. Uh, when I was at college, I had a few type designs which I, I emailed, uh, was it, it must have been email then I think, or did I just post samples, I can't remember now, but uh, you know a very quick and positive response to those got me, got them accepting those typefaces and then in that day you know Emigre was such a, such a famous part of graphic design in terms of what's what's happening, what is the Macintosh, which was fairly new, what's that enabling, um, and also the, you know, the discussion that Emigre created, uh, which was at a really interesting level and very engaging for a lot of designers. Having my name on, the, on both, you know, in the publication and, and, and in the um, library typefaces established me in some way, I'm not difficult to know sort of what it is establishing you to do. It's not like I ever got a job from being Miles Newlin in those days, yeah. uh, but it just enabled me to show in person other peop um, people, people uh, show them what I what I've been doing, you know, and and, and so it, it you know led led some importance, I guess, or some sort of acceptance to it. So sort of getting yourself out there by um, contacting bigger people and um, yeah, getting them to sort of help you out a bit. I think that would be difficult to do now. I don't know what the equivalent would be. I mean, that, that you know, Emigre was the one thing back then. Yeah. Emigre and Reagan magazine were the two things. Now there is Lots of different things, I suppose. Lots of yeah. <laughs> different things, yeah. I suppose that's what, uh, sort of what I'm trying to do now, is contact yourself and, and people of a high level and just 
you know, get people searching for your name, so they eventually find me. Maybe. Yeah, well, people often say, Miles, you know, if, if, if you're too busy to do this particular piece of work, is, and, and if it's a small piece, you know, like a, um, refining a logo or drawing a few letters, that sort of thing, and I'm, you know, me and my team are stuck in the middle of a big, big corporate typeface yeah. project, and I can't squeeze it in. I'll, they'll ask for a recommendation, and actually, it's not. Not I, there's very few people I can really recommend, but which is a shame. I don't know why that, exactly that is. But if more people came to me and said, you know, I do this, yeah. uh, then I would have more names to to give out. Um, yeah. At the moment, I've got a couple of people, but they're, they're often busy too. So. Uh, the, to me, there seems like certainly still gaps in the market for, for, for particularly with anybody with good drawing skills. I mean, that's the, that's that's the side of the market that I perceive. I don't know anything about interactivity and, uh, you know, the, the huge variety of skills that come in under whatever we want to call it now, communications design, graphic design. But I, but I, I think, actually going back to what, how did you get your name out? I think really having a niche and understanding that a niche would suit me was a, a, a really strong part of being able to make a name. Uh, I could never have made, made a name for myself as a generalist. Mm. You know, I think that concept is much harder. So it's much more easy to, to make yourself uh, known for a specific thing. Uh, that makes sense, because what we're talking about with, with Aaron Drapton, because we were talking about his work and... Um, that that's definitely more of a niche rather than being able to do everything like jack all trades. Yeah, yeah. Aaron does very similar sort of niche things, really, doesn't yeah. he? I don't know how much if he's if he's doing a logo for somebody. I don't know whether he then you know does an identity manual and starts producing the whole you know website and on all that. I don't know. But have a very clear cut off point, a very clear cut off point in terms of what I can do or what I what I want to do. People understand that you know they come to me for the particular elements, and then they need to go to somebody else for the, those elements to be arranged. Do you have other people that you give those sort of other elements to, or, or is it just no? Well, generally, there? somebody comes to me who's already been able to do those right. different things, which are generally agencies, design agencies, branding agencies, uh, for for the elements, really. And often they have they have a good, clear idea of what they want, and it's nice to be able to push that a little bit, of course. They used to, I mean, I, I spent most of my career kind of taking something that was existing or perhaps, you know, that, that the designer kind of knew wasn't quite there in their head, didn't quite know how to express where they wanted it to go, but knew what I did and could see that we could get there to that end point, you know, at the end of the day. So sort of visualising their, their thoughts. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, a big part of the skill is, is listening. To a designer and trying to ask them the right questions to to that will help them explain what their vision is, mm. um, and that feedback loop where I will draw something and, and you know show it and they will you know I want to know whether I've met what was in their in their head whether I've pushed it further it's great always of course when that you know it's like this is better than we could imagine that's the most rewarding stage. What sort of questions do you ask? Uh, when you, are there any set questions or is it different for each client? Uh, it's just a conversation, yeah. Right. I think it, it's, there's nothing set about it. I think that, uh, I like to know what sort of a, a person their client is. That helps me. I mean, I'm doing something that helps the designer's vision. The designer is doing something that helps the client's vision. 
Uh, I don't want to get too removed from the client, so it's good for the designer to be able to, to tell me something about the, the, the end client, of course. Um, a lot of that work comes from consultants, generally. So uh, the agencies will have um, consultants who will, work, who will start the work off with the client in terms of defining who they are, uh, what they want to achieve, what they want to be known for, what makes them different in the market from their competitors. That is the, the dry side of the brief, really. Uh, and I think it's, you know, then it's down for, for, the, for the design side to, to bring that to life. And, um, and I put the polish on it a lot of the time. So it's nothing that, other, you know, it's, it's great to work at the beginning of a job, but it's not always the case. Uh, a lot of the times I'm refining things. So you're taking the stuff that designers have designed. drawn already, yeah, right. that's right. Uh, and so a lot of it is just uh, crafting. And I kind of like that side of things. Um, I haven't done that for a long time. I haven't done many logos for, for, I haven't done hardly any logos for several years now. Many of the large, I mean, go, going back, so the early part of the career was a sort of golden age for branding where uh, lots of very large organizations needed a refresh and, and you know, the idea of brand was, was fresh too. Um, previously it had been corporate identity and the thinking around that was different. And now many of those large corporations have been done. It will, the time will come around yeah. again when it is changing, but... It's not going to be in the same way now. It's now it's all online. It's a different thing. I mean, I, I'm I'm fortunate to have specialised in type, which has remained really relevant in the digital world on screen. I, there's it's not like um, you know it's not like print design, which is which has dwindled. Yeah. I still think that the future of of type is just as strong as it ever has been. Um, there's a whole load of new typefaces coming out all of the time. That's the the strangest thing to get your head around the amount of choice that a designer has, and and I hope that you know the typefaces I'm designing kind of meet some of those those the, the needs that are out there. Uh, but it gets more and more difficult to find out what the needs are. I, I guess that sometimes there isn't one. It's it's a case of creating something which attracts a kind of you know att attracts a certain excitement to it in terms of just you know producing a very successful typeface, one that really hits the mark and becomes very popular. So are they sort of public typefaces or for yeah the commercial ones that's that is what sort of, what's what makes it a popular typeface the number one thing of course is that it becomes a great tool a flexible tool that you can you know use on a lot of different jobs uh, and has enough neutrality that it that that it doesn't keep reminding you of something else right yeah you know but has enough personality that it brings that fresh freshness to to whatever you're using it on. Yeah, pretty simple if you put it like that, but, but doing that, of course, is, that, yeah. is, is uh, hit and miss, I think. Some people have a great eye for, a great eye for knowing what's, you know, going to be going to be popular. I don't know whether they even set out to produce that. I don't think I've ever designed a typeface with that in mind. I've only designed stuff which I felt excited me personally, but it would be nice to have, you know, a number one sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It would be great, but re yeah, re at the moment retail sales of typefaces only only form a small part of uh, the business main the main 
uh, part of it is custom typefaces. It's, it's becoming easier to make a typeface as well. Mm, so it's, it's quite nice to see lots of different people trying it. But so do you think that sort of cheapens it in any way? I think it makes it. I don't think it cheapens. It makes it more difficult for designers to to understand the aspects of quality in a typeface. Right. Um, I think the example you used of, of the ease with which it is to be able to make a typeface is. I mean, it's never going to be easy to make a a good typeface. Yeah. It's never going to be easy to get that number one. Certain things are becoming a lot easier, of course, in, in terms of the technologies making the drawing of curves easier. Uh, the, the you know the new tools in the in the type design software are really really great, and there's you know huge progress being made in making it in time saving and making it quicker to to space and kern things. Traditionally, parts that have been a bit tiresome, yeah. Uh, but even so, those people that are just having their first crack at, at type design have haven't understood the, uh, the the that particular part, the spacing and the kerning, and the general system that they're creating. They they the and, and I'm sure I was the same. It was more about creating a great E and great M, and you know. Something that really appeals to you as individual sort of elements rather than a system. The longer you spend doing it, the more you understand about the system that you're creating. And, it, and you never stop learning. I mean, I'm still fascinated by just seeing what the effect of, you know, changing one letter in, in, in a block of text makes. Um, what the slight change in the angle of a terminal makes to how easy something is to read. Those things are always surprise me. It's never a case of, well, if I change this, then I can make a block of text look a certain way. There's always a bit of experimentation with it. Yeah. And I think that's what keeps me interested in it. What do you, what typeface do you think is number one at the moment? Um, I see circular everywhere. Circular, right. Yeah, from, who's circular from? It's uh, line two, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, Spotify are using it. Right. Gosh, there's a whole load of big brands out there using it. Virgin. Uh, you know, if it, if it becomes popular with the brand designers, it's, it's, it's an odd thing, really, because, I, you know, with, with branding, you want to make a, a business look different to its competitors, and yet there are huge fashions within it. And most clients have a very similar brief. They want to look like the market leader. They have very, you know, there there is often little difference between their products and and the competitors. They there is value in not looking too different for sure. So alienate people as well. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that that was that was a a risk that I was very close to when designing free mobile. It was really different. It was never really implemented very well because I think it wasn't fully understood. As a as a um, as a brand, I think there was a lot of it, from the consultancy side. There was a lot of confusion uh, about what three G technology would bring. We didn't really know. This is a bit early, but before it's time. Yeah, to a little bit. And so I think that the the design was trying to be very open to be able to do, to accept whatever the new technology would bring. Yeah. Without it being so open that it was bland. So we sort of went open in a in a creative way rather than o open in a neutral way. I think obviously the person who's designed it has obviously picked up more imperfections than the general public and other yes. designers. But yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, you have you have a, I mean as 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 it being you know you have a different opinion of your own kind of creation, yeah, your exactly. own babies than than anybody you know than the, than the customer really. Uh, so it's like a cook, isn't it? Because the, the person that cooks the food is always picking flaws in it, and they're like it's a bit overdone. It's a bit yeah. <laughs> uh, also, you I mean the transfer of ideas is very difficult. If I you know the designer can have an idea, a very strong idea, try and express it. as clearly as possible, then it gets passed over to the advertising agency, they will throw anything that they want to away and do what their interpretation of it is. Uh, and of course that can be really frustrating because you know suddenly it's <coughs> it's totally different to how you how you envisioned the whole thing to be. Yeah. But that's inevitable. You after a while you just have to have to understand that um, that for each person involved has a different different take on it. You know, uh, and that we, I mean, simplicity, of course, is very powerful in that situation. Uh, and many brands have become much more simpler because of this variety of of uh, media and different ways of implementing things. Now we've, yeah. you know, and so many things have been reduced down to a small icon on a screen. Uh, the 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 kind of world of the brand positioning is. A little bit more confused than it used to be. And I think I'm going on slightly off track there. That's oh, right. Uh, with the, the the thing that I noticed the most is with people misinterpreting things mm -hmm. and not getting the full message. Is especially with social media, people get an opinion straight away. They can put it out there straight away. Yeah. So with big rebrands like Formula One logo recently, yes, people have obviously had a massive backlash against it, which is worse up to them. But um, yeah, it's it's a have you ever had that from your point of view? Or? Um, I've never had a, I've never done a design that's had a big backlash. I've been involved in projects which which had a, yeah. a backlash. The the one that comes to mind is the twenty twelve Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Um, which which uh, yeah, I mean, it still brings a lot of amusement to me uh, because it was a, quite an awkward working situation. You know, being kind of locked into a room. Right. Uh, for for a couple of months doing this top secret stuff uh, with a with a quite an, an unusual team creatively directed by the brilliant Patrick Cox who who was pushing very hard to do something for it to be very different and it, of course it did turn out to be very different not in it, it, but but different I felt in a way that wasn't inclusive and yeah. I think that was my main frustration I really wanted to produce something that was that was very inclusive uh, without it being um, <clears throat> well well no and and popular uh, but without it being expected on the, on the interview on the website you said you said it, it didn't really represent the nation it didn't really uh, represent yeah. the Olympics so it's sort of missing both marks um, so it, like you, you described it as a transvestite you know, it <laughs> yes it didn't I, I laughed at that one <laughs> It didn't, so he wanted to be. Yeah, it's trying it to be something that it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, and 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 trying very hard. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's like I didn't want to give up on producing something that was British. I have always felt that even though we're a very diverse nation, that there are things culturally that we can agree on. You know, uh, and and that we should celebrate those things rather than just celebrating the fact that perhaps there aren't those things. Which is the celebration of 
of diversity. Yeah. Any logo has to celebrate the, the things that are, are common, really, or provide something beneath which, you know, uh, people can get together. Yeah. I think that a, a flag is still a very potent symbol, the flag of a nation or the flag of an army, uh, something that people will associate with so much um, importance to, to their personal lives that they'd be willing to fight beneath it and, you know, give their life, uh, is if you can produce a design which, which uh, has this sort of collective power, whether it be for uh, a business or, or any kind of organisation, I think that, that, for me, that's always been the ultimate goal, provide something that, that um, people can feel passionate about. Yeah. It's not the symbol that actually, the symbol represents what it is about the organisation that people feel passionate about. They don't have to be passionate about the specific symbol, but in the end, people do associate the two things and people become passionate about the symbol. It's a bit like, what is it? It's a bit like big, big brands at Nike and everything they're passionate yeah. about having that on there, or wearing it, or yeah, being seen with that. that. That's right. I think um, car logos, people become yeah. very passionate about their choice of, of automobile. Um, because it, you know, to a large degree, it, it represents what they want to achieve in life. So it becomes very personal. It represents a particular way of being or set of values. Yeah, yeah it's that side of branding which which I'm most passionate about. Um, for, for me, the Olympics or like a World Cup, that'd be one of my, my dream goal is to, to you know, get one of those projects and, and design uh, something like that. Yeah, because it's, it's so big, it's, it's seen by the whole world. Is that, was that worth one of your goals, or was it just something to, to, to have a very big audience? Well, just just to maybe design an Olympics, or yeah, I suppose um, something like that. Yes, I've always loved jobs where the, you know, the like Olympic, it. But yeah, yeah. Have, have huge audiences. Didn't always uh, feel that way. I, when I started at college, I was totally happy to do designs for for you know small local charities and little. little there was a uh, I can't think of the right the actual name of it now, but there was a, a, a small local uh, meeting room near back in Leicester where I lived, and I, and I did a little bit of work for them, just designing posters and stuff like that. And, and it, it didn't matter that there was a, a at all that only a few people would see that. But as I went, as I kind of progressed in the career, it was just logical to see, yeah. to seek a bigger audience as possible. Especially um, with the bigger audience, more risk and more money and more. Everything's on a bigger scale, I suppose. It's just yeah, uh, it's fame, isn't it? Really, I think I think there's a better is. word for it. Um, that you want to produce something that that uh, wherever you go, people will recognise if they say what do you do, and we will show them they'll, and they'll know it, and that they will also not just have seen it, but as I was saying before, associate some particular uh, yeah, yeah. something with it. That's a kind of fascinating story that you have then and I've, I, th I guess also that, that I've always felt that, that, that in terms of um, the difficulty or, of a job that it's no more difficult to, to do something which is as a huge audience than, than, than it is to do something with, with a very small one. Right. But, um, Same sort of process you mean? Sort of. Yeah, uh, small clients can be more difficult than, right. than very big ones and then there's also the a myth of design by committee with with very yeah. large jobs. I've never never uh, you know encountered that in my life. Right. Really, I've never felt. I 
I've had to produce something which has then been watered down or um, gone through so many different uh, approval stages that uh, that it's been more difficult than doing something on a, on a, on a smaller scale. I think that in, in all of those big jobs there are clear decision makers. Yeah. It can, you, you can work quickly, stuff can be approved quickly, and it can get done. There's, there's never this, I've never found this um, issue where uh, stuff has become more bland yeah. because it's, because the organisation is bigger. Never. Was it, was it like to work with this big agencies like I Wolf Rollins and mm -hmm. uh, because yeah, so you're a freelancer, you go into those agencies and help out. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's it like to work with them? It's a great opportunity to work with creative directors for me. It's a great, it's a fabulous experience in terms of learning as well from 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 other people. Uh, I could sit at home and design my own typefaces all day, uh, and that would be a very narrow track. You know the opportunity of working with, I mean, it's just working with other people, really. Yeah. It's, no, it's no different whether the, I mean, there's a lot more small agencies now doing great, you know, famous and large bits of work. Um, so the experience of working with a large agency, uh, of which there are a few of, fewer of now than, than a small agency is, is, well, there's no difference, I haven't found. So at the end of the day, it's just about, just about, finding people that you like working with. The only, I guess the only difficulty encountered with in that situation is, is when agencies and, and your clients uh, are too far removed geographically for you to be able to meet in person. Right. And then think things, you know, it's, it's not the fun that I, an, an experience that I enjoy just kind of, you know, getting on the tube, going to visit an agency for the first time, you know, being shown around and, and and, and often being treated extremely nicely, you know, uh, because of the work that I've done in the past. And, and that's, a, that's a really nice experience. Would you do anything differently now, now with social media? Social media uh, represents a huge opportunity if you've got the time to actually dedicate to it. It's, I find it very time consuming. I don't have hardly any time yeah. to be able to devote to it myself. But I think that the, had I been given the opportunity to, to get my message out in the way that people are able to now, back when I, when it didn't exist. Yeah. Um, and the only opportunity to get your opinions out were to write, a, uh, do an interview in a magazine, basically. And I think that what I would do differently would be, no, I wouldn't do anything differently. I just think that it's the opportunity to get your viewpoint across regularly and more clearly and be able to change it and uh, is you know I think people just need to make a um, have an opinion I think there's a massive gap in terms of um, people saying anything interesting within social media in terms of uh, graphic design yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that's just because like you know like the early stage of my career was in that emigre Reagan thing when there was a huge debate uh, about the importance and the meaning and the, the inspirations behind, and, um, you know, the the uh, political aspects of of design. I don't know where that conversation happens anymore. It is there, and maybe I'm just disconnected from it. Yeah. But you know, in my uh, in the people that I follow on on social media, 
it tends to be uh, just a case of, of, of keeping up with news uh, and you yeah. know, the latest releases within a very specific uh, area of type design. kind of find it difficult to, to get an idea of the broader range of graphic design stuff that's happening. If I wanted to, and I actually do, you know, find some graphic designers or some typographers to work with in terms of producing promotional material, I find it quite difficult to, to find those people. Uh, I don't know why that is. I can just browse, you know, Behance or something like that, but it's that's not working for me. Is it because there's too many people out there doing it, or is it you're trying to find the right one because um, too many is crowding, or...? It's because the work, a lot of the work is just so similar, and yeah. I can't find what people are doing you know, the, the, what they're offering the, of themselves and what their particular skills are. It's so much of it seems um, borrowed. I noticed that a bit of work. We talked about uh, the sign fair, DID student sign fair thing. Yeah. Um, and definitely noticed that a lot of the work is very, very similar, very sort of clean and seems to be in the same category. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, you know, I mean, a lot of designers go into into the industry because they want to be fashionable right. and that they like what's out there already and that they want to do do that stuff. That's what attracts them to it and therefore they're happy when they're doing it. You know, being doing something that was, I, I don't know what the educational programs are at the colleges today. At St Martin's it was find your own voice, as simple as that. I think with and the message from the emigre and David Carson was all, all the same. Was was you know what do you as an individual as a human being have to, to, to offer? What can what of yourself can you put into it without it being you know just art and self-expression? That's something that I find difficult to see in other people's work. I can see it very clearly uh, in you know type designers' work that I that I like. I find it a little bit more difficult to see in in design because of course. But perhaps the actual media that designers are dealing with now doesn't, you know, you're having to design for so many different um, formats, uh, yeah. so many different, um, uh, it needs so much more flexibility into it that it's the, the, the opportunity to, to be a little more, bit more personal is, is, is harder. With social media as well, it's obviously being coming easy to see other people's work, and especially the, what I'm looking at is all very, like, say, very similar, and it's people are taking inspiration a bit too much. It's also people look at work for like half a second, and then yeah. and then the next thing. That's a, you know, yeah. that's that's true. Sort of fast paced. Yeah, I used to, you know, when it when it was in a magazine, you would look at it for quite a while, and yeah. probably relook at it. Now it's swiped and gone, and and uh, if that's all you're producing work to, you know, to to operate at such a speed, how do you then try and put more depth into it if it's never given a chance to be read at a, at a deeper level? You know, complexity takes time to absorb. If, if, if the time isn't there, then the work will be simpler, simplified. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's one of the reasons why we've got to, you know, a sort of extreme simplicity in a lot of design now. But this, it's not, a, it's not it's, of course, it's not a, I like that across the board. There's still people doing very, Odd and really interesting stuff. They need, you know, it's it's a case of them finding their clients and giving themselves a a, a, a wider audience. I think, yeah, to be able to get out of the this just pure self-expression thing. I think that was the, that's the thing again. You could 
maybe there is a fear that if you do something that's that's very individual uh, and very expressive and perhaps uh, risky, uh, or that you can't have that accepted by you know a very large audience. So they uh, won't understand it, sort of thing. Yeah, but I, do, I think that's I, I think that that's you know what designers need to be pushing for. I don't think the simplest. Uh, I guess clients want to want to get across very simple messages uh, very quickly, and that represents the problem if you want to do something that has a lot more subtlety to it. But you just can't stop trying to get that through. You know, perhaps designers have a, I'm sure they do have a lot less time to produce work than previous. Um, the time constraints on on jobs are pretty extreme now. Yeah. Uh, I would, you know, jobs where I've had a lot of time to work on, for example, the Unilever logo, I was r lucky to be given three weeks of pure drawing on, on one symbol, uh, you know, on, on the logo. Yeah. I don't know whether that is still possible. Because it comes to find the right, finding the right clients. Yeah. And people let you yeah. do that. Well, again, it's a case of finding a creative director who, who will give a designer you know, who will ring fence that space, yeah. that amount of time to get the right results. Uh, and that takes some confidence in terms of communicating to the client how long things will take, uh, yeah. how much it will cost, because of course, you know, more time is more, time money, is more yeah. money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but I believe it really pays off in the end. Not everything needs to take a lot, a lot of time, but often, you know, I think that the first idea that comes into certainly my head, and I think a lot of the times that other people is the often the best one, and we often need to do a lot of other stuff to come back to that first idea and realise its its true potential. If the first idea is just sort of knocked out and done via the quickest route from A to B, yeah. there's less confidence in it because there's a, I guess a doubt that other things could have been done which may have been better or more interesting. And the and the confidence that comes from trying other things out, seeing the failures, and then going back back to something is is valuable. The work always benefits from from further exploration, but and, and there's no you know there's nothing wrong with with binning that exploration if it didn't work out. Yeah, you can't always go in you know one direction and and improve something. Uh, it's the same with just drawing and drawing letters and uh, designing logos is. Even though process often these days is iterative, I we do one and then we improve it, we say them, judge judge them all. Need to be given time just to try things that perhaps might not work. It's an old message that I'm repeating now. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But but uh, sort of backs it up as well. Yeah. Like the first idea that you're not 100 percent sure on it sort of backs it up that it does work. I was going to talk about the uh, sort of Tate Modern branding. Um, yeah. That's right. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I love it, and I just want to talk about sort of where the idea came from and if there's anything that's inspired it. I did work uh, on the logo, um, was there at the beginning, but the actual out of focus blurred logo was, was Marina Willis, right, as I do. And I worked to her, with her on, on, on um, bringing that into artwork, so to speak. I c so I can't really talk for where her inspiration from that came from. Yeah. Uh, I do remember that there was, there was at the top of Tate Modern, there is a sort of frosted glass part of the building, mm. uh, behind which um, is sort of illuminated strip lighting, which naturally kind of blurred the logo. 
I can't remember now whether that is that was it, maybe. Yeah, whether that was it or whether that was because came came later. Yeah, I can't quite remember. But the thinking that we were having at the beginning of that was, I mean, I did a route called All the Ifs and Buts, which was um, a, a sort of more uh, language-based identity uh, rather than visual, uh, and that and that was again sort of about it's sort of similar to this sort of blurred idea because the the consultancy side of of uh, the the job could was summed up with the phrase um, "look again, think again," um, which I think was written by uh, Brian Boylan, the MD uh, of All Follies at the time, and I felt and and that was really inspiring. I liked the idea of of that to look again and to, to think again was to reappraise things with an open mind, uh, and for artwork to be allowed to escape its historical context or its typically uh, the, t the, the standard critical aspects of it. The branding coincided with the reorganization of the collection uh, at Tate Britain. Previously, it was, it was organized uh, historically uh, and by yeah. geography, so a particular country in a particular period. And they changed that into, uh, I don't re recall the particular themes, but you know, yeah. theme-based um, organization. And then the Tate Modern was just being built. Uh, and so Tate as an organization sort of sees the opportunity to kind of present art in a different way than it had previously done. And I think that anywhere in the UK had previously done. Yeah. So look again, think again, sort of really suited that and summarized it. And I think the design was, uh, a way of communicating that quite specifically in many ways, yeah, in a sort of open-ended, take what you want from this experience rather than, you know, this is the experience yeah, that yeah. you should have if you want a cultural experience uh, or artistic experience. I mean, I did a lot more work on the typography, of course, than, than the logo in the end, although drawing the dots for those, you know, the half-tone dots for the, for the logos became a a long and tedious task at some, oh, yeah. some stages. Uh, but the typography was initially, I think, you know, from my perspective about doing something which was, which could actually, which wouldn't look out of place on a high street rather than a traditional gallery. At that time, a traditional gallery would have always, you know, had a serif typeface yeah, and presented historical information in, in a conservative and, you know, traditional way. Yeah. Uh, the the first iteration of the, of of the Tate typeface had this really odd and looking back on it difficult to use italic which was so italic the angle of uh, italicization was I, don't, I think it's like fourteen degrees which was outrageous really you know it was really sort of go faster uh, yeah. and I sort of pushed that as far as it could go I don't think I should have looking back uh, it was just too much. But, but the idea of having a type which was so approachable uh, in its roundedness, uh, in its warmness, and, and so informal and, and able to produce, you know, a variety of messages without having any too much of a specific kind of tone of voice, or certainly not a tone of voice expected at that stage by a gallery, was, you know, was very important for Tate. 
uh, and over the years there have been a few redesigns of that typeface that I've done which uh, which have you know distilled what was working uh, and corrected the things like the italics which which were too extreme yeah I still feel that it's one of the best typefaces I've I've ever drawn every time I go to the tape I just you know I look at it around in the signage and get more satisfaction out of that than probably any other piece of uh, work I've done. So you come across as someone that doesn't really want to be famous and such. Um, no, I sort of experienced a bit of that when I was, you know, like in the emigre and Reagan days and it sort of yeah. didn't like, I didn't enjoy it at all. Right. Like, uh, no, and I've much preferred just the work to be the thing yeah. that's, that, that gets the attention rather than myself. That's a good a funny picture of uh, you sitting there looking at your work and like and talking to someone else. I did that. <laughs> so telling many people you can. But that's yeah. Um, but yeah, that's interesting because a lot of people, especially again, be like social media, people just want fame. Well, it's, it's I mean, you know, fame and reputation is good. Yeah. Of course, for repeat business. Yeah. yeah to to be known. I've not struggled to have repeat business though. So I've not you know never needed to really work on social media and yeah. so on to 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 bring custom work my way all of that social media and fame thing would be very useful if it worked for retail typeface sales but that's again that's not i don't really see that as personal reputation selling the typeface i think people look at type and decide just on face value whether it fits what they need it doesn't matter who designed it, when it was designed, you know. I get a lot of people will look at typeface and don't realise that it was designed 400 years ago. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, in in the last two or three years, those things are unimportant as long as it does what they're looking for. So that sort of personal side of things has, has not bothered me at all. And anyway, it's an odd word, odd fame and so on. It's a silly sort of word in the context of, of people knowing you sort of do this, this tiny niche of of graphic design. Yeah, you know, yeah, they think about uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> industry. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's you know, it's not Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's it? What's it like to work in Warphonics? Because that's that's an agency where, to be honest, probably my love of logos came from that. Because at, at school, I remember being shown Wally Williams's work and, yeah. and learning about him and. My dad worked for BT, well, does work for BT, and I saw that logo on a keychain he had, and it's just the Piper. Yeah, Piper. Yes. Yeah. So it's just um, something that I've always. It's, it's quite special, sort of. Yeah. Personally, to me. Yes. Uh, so yeah, there's always something I've had that connection with them. I remember wanting to sort of work for them when I was younger. But anyway, yeah. What was it like working for? Uh, well, Fallings, uh was it was good. It was a it was an Nothing. opportunity from. I, th I always felt that I had a lot to give them and that it was that they'd employed such a you know interesting and varied group of designers right. uh, with you know such wide variety of backgrounds in terms of nationality uh, sort of design perspective or philosophy yeah. uh, it was and, and what I found really good in I think this was really in the '90s more than any other period. Was that there was there was a very strong sense of competitiveness between different teams within the in the agency, uh, and and 
I really enjoyed that. I really wanted to, uh, I mean, sometimes I would work because I was freelance and, um, re well, renting a desk there. Uh, I could work across the teams uh, and have a kind of, you know, really interesting overview of all these different ways of approaching the same project. Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, that was, you know, I learned a lot by seeing, by hearing and listening to different ways of approaching the same design problem from different people. I think, of course, nowadays it would be the same team doing a different number of routes. That, so there was yeah, quite a yeah. different way of approaching work back then. I think that encouraged, that competition really encouraged um, people to try very hard, you know, to, to get their idea through and be, and be the one that was accepted by the client. Yeah. Of course, they were all presented on, I think, pretty much equal footing. I wasn't there in actual client presentation, so I don't know. Of course, yeah, most of them would have been presented perhaps by the executive creative director. Uh, and I'm sure they had, you know, a favourite, but, and, and I guess some, you know, some work never got to that, to, to the final presentation stage. But that was the most, you know, interesting part of the whole thing. Uh, of course, having the opportunity to work on such, such uh, prestigious clients as Tate and uh, Unilever and... Um, yeah, huge organisations. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and also... To work somewhere where, you know, it was the first time I was really working with with um, consultants, people who weren't designers, people whose job it was to, to you know, provide insight and, and, and planning and clarity to, to clients and also to kind of hold the client's hand through a, through a, through a process which uh, they were unfamiliar with. You know, and, and get them to a stage where they could uh, accept a you know a step change within their own organisation, something radically different. That you know, and, and to see how how uh, a business does that with a with a large client who maybe perhaps hasn't had any significant change for a decade or more. It's, just, it's interesting that you talk about the uh, competitiveness of it. Well, that's something I want to do eventually. Maybe it's something I think about a lot. Was what I want to do. And design career and stuff and mm -hmm. one of the ideas was to build this this agency hopefully take it to the top yeah um, as mad as it sounds at the moment but uh go for it yeah so hey that competitiveness and picking people from different parts of the world and doing things differently for each person that's, that's yeah. really interesting something i'll probably think about yeah yeah i think on. that um i mean when i left college i was uh, and at college i was very competitive yeah i i, I think perhaps i felt that I'd come from um, rather a bland background, very uh, suburban, right. uh, Midlands, you know, nothing particularly exciting going on back, back where I came from and also uh, perhaps a bit conservative and that St. Martin's was surrounded by people, you know, very different uh, and wanted to kind of prove myself. And at school, I'd always, I think, have been, I mean, like university was an opportunity to be competitive in an area where, where I felt that I excelled. Mm. I was never a sporty kid, so I could, so competition back uh, at school kind of didn't really, you know, come onto the horizon. So uh, there was never any competition in being better at geography than someone else. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so when it came to, to uh, wanting to kind of be, wanting to excel in, in, in design, 
do not not only excel but do stuff which which gets noticed because of course you know it's not just competence but it's it's standout and and um, uh, it's you need to develop something that has an innate appeal to it right yeah that some that people gravitate towards because of whatever reason it might be just you know beautiful color or something like that or combination of colors or whatever it is had a confidence to be able to had the confidence to to know that I could do something which people would find appealing but and, and in some ways that's that was just by I don't know throwing away some of the rules about what certain industries should look like am I going off that was it's the, interesting we were it's talking about competition yeah in, in agencies so cause that, that's I'm from a sporty sort of family sport family right. sporting background everyone's very okay. sporty I got this all competitiveness in yes. me anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting yeah. to talk. Of course, typically the, there is like no winner, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. In, in that sort of thing, other than, well, you could say, you know, that piece of work got accepted by the client and, and yeah. we got paid for that job because of that. So everyone gets paid in this Yeah, one, right? that's right. Um, that's interesting to think about building an agency like sort of sports teams. Yes. It's very interesting. Yeah, I like yeah. that idea. It'll probably come quite naturally as well. Me being very much in sport and that competitive yeah. between teams. Doing it quickly as well was always a good thing for me, you know. Yeah. I always liked to, like we were talking about earlier about the first idea, great to have the time to do other things, but if actually you, after a while, you've got the confidence to know, to, to, to understand why that first idea is good yeah, yeah. Uh, and just to nail that to a stage where, you know, I didn't always have a lot of time, of course, you know, most. I, I spent many years at Wolf Hollins doing almost a logo a day. Right. Yeah, right. so uh, being fast was, was particularly good, uh, well, useful for, the, for them. Um, is that something, is that doing a logo a day, is that something that if you can't, I don't know, it takes a lot of practice, I suppose, to get to be, to be able to get that good at it. Yes, yeah. well, when you're doing it every day as well, you know, right. that's the practice. Yeah. Because uh, I wasn't having to do layouts and not having, to, wasn't have to, having to, to prepare PowerPoint presentations, I was doing what I just you know right. loved doing and what I wanted to practice each day. Yeah. Uh, and on the on the days when I wasn't doing, um, you know, uh, commissioned work, uh, I'd be drawing my typefaces. So again, more of the same really. This, I mean, the speed at which you you kind of work is something that I can't say I ever got quicker. Strangely enough, it got better. Right. You know, so it didn't problem. actually get quicker. Right. It was fast to begin with. Yeah. But the standard gradually improved. I think that's right, how yeah. that's that's the approach to speed. It's not sort of getting it where you want it to be by lunchtime. Yeah. Sort of thing, rather than the end of the day. It's more about knowing what you've got at the end of the day is as good as it could can get. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that helps if if you to, to know that, of course. Try as many things out before the end of the day as possible, and yeah. then you will know at the end of the day that which one works. Yeah. What's uh What's been your biggest failure, and how did you overcome it? If you did, I don't. I think I think that the discovery that I started to it's, yeah, it's not a failure, but it comes to mind, so I may as well mention it. But I noticed uh, that I that I was drawing type too narrow. Right. Uh, that I had a natural taste for condensed styles right. which was stopping me from doing something which that I actually wanted to do uh, and so I halfway through designing Hero 
I realized that it should be wider. So I had to bin several years worth of work uh, and start from scratch. That's the biggest sort of failure in, in a way of a piece of work that I've done because it's because I've spent so so yeah. much time doing it. And of course, you know, when you've invested that amount of time, the the uh, decision to scrap it is is more difficult to take. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and once that decision had been taken, it's a whole lot more rewarding to know that I was on a better path with it, mm -hmm. and also that I could then maybe look at the rest of my work and notice a certain aspect that I that was holding me back, perhaps uh, drawing things in a more wide in a wider way. You know what I mean? Yeah. To put it literally, but uh, but also just to just to kind of get rid of a a particular optical um, habit. Which can be difficult to identify, you know, in, as as a designer. I mean, I'm I'm not very good with colour at all. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy working with lines, uh, and you know, other people can fill in yeah. those lines with whatever colour they wish. Another, I, I don't know. One comes to mind, which was which was uh, naming my foundry text prep some years ago. That was a terrible failure. And I look back at that and can't think why I did that at, at all now. There was something partly motivated to, to, to find two letters to, you know, TP and then whatever the name of the typeface is. Mm. Um, and I think that that coincided with a, with a stage in life where I was actually confused about or not confident enough to put my name to something. And when I, because perhaps I think, you know, I was thinking again, I don't want to be famous. I don't want it to be all about me. This work is not about me. It's it's to go out into the world and have its own own life. Yeah. Whatever the more people I spoke to, the more I realized that I was missing the point and that people perhaps were interested in in the person behind the work. Exactly. And that I should be more more proud of that. And then, you know, I reverted back to the name Newlin and uh, a lot of things clicked into place. So it's perhaps another example of a failure of confidence. Well, obviously, obviously, people are interested in you because obviously I've interviewed you, and obviously other people have as well. So, yeah, yeah, interesting to get people's you know, like the personal perspective. So, yes, yeah, so it's good to know the person behind it. What's your? What's been your? It can be non-design as well. What's been your best purchase under a hundred hundred pounds? Purchase. Yeah, yeah, best buy or yeah, purchase. Um, I guess it must be an airline ticket to somewhere. Right. I think. It must be associated to going going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's so cheap to fly. You can get on and go 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 somewhere for thirty quid now. Yeah, I suppose you can. Yeah. Um, I can't think of what particular trip, but I would definitely say it would have been. Where can you travel. get to? Where can you get to from anywhere in Europe? Europe, yeah. hundred quid if you if you if you book ahead. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my ex girlfriend lived in Poland for a for. Uh, a while and um, we th I thought it was going to be sometimes quite difficult to get to see each other regularly but it out. yeah for very cheap really you know amazingly so uh, and, and from that point on I saw, I guess I realized that one of the advantages no put it a different way I'd spent a lot of time developing my own business and understanding how best to work for myself to to be able to achieve a sense of freedom, which now now the children are are, are a bit older and and I can fully utilise. Yeah. 
has has given me you know that freedom to be any anywhere I particularly want and I can carry on working there and what with this you know under a hundred quid air, uh, flights yeah. to pretty much anywhere um, now's the time for me to kind of really make the most use of that yeah yeah that's good, that's good. And, and not to be stuck you know going back to it say it's working from home it can be these same four walls day in day out yeah. there's actually no reason to to keep yourself in there, just put the laptop in the, in you know, in the overhead luggage and, and go where you want to be for a bit. I didn't think about plane tickets because right. it's well, the most recent trips I've been on, they've been like quite far. Right. Uh, to Thailand and um, yes, they're not going to be. On. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, college as well. That's when my mind goes through straight away. But yeah, I didn't think about Europe as well. I need to, I need to explore Europe more. Yes. Yeah. Some. I've stuff. never never felt the need to really go much further than Europe personally, right. just because. It's you know um, so uh, much so diverse. There's so many different languages yeah. and cultures and traditions and climates and yeah. you know ge geologies, geographies. Gosh, you'd yeah. never never see it all anyway, uh, and you could never scratch the surface. Uh, and you know, being here in the UK or anywhere in Europe, you just have so much within such a short amount of time on your on your doorstep. It's definitely. One thing I noticed when I was in Thailand, the UK is definitely one of the best countries to be in because it's in the middle of everywhere. Yeah. It's so, it's so handy. I didn't realise how lucky I was really, but it's good. It's a nice country. <laughs> um, it is. What? Because we've talked about fame and stuff as well. Uh, about what? We've talked about fame uh, yes. before. Like, how do you want to be remembered? That's my final question to everyone. Okay. Um, generous. Uh, with With my time and with whatever I've learnt and professionally uh, as as being someone who who small things and made them big somehow you know um, somebody who perhaps put obscure things into the spotlight I can't that that's a broad way of, of thinking about what I do but if it's you know if it's uh, if it's perhaps a little symbol that I've seen carved on a school desk somewhere, mm. yeah, to, to then be inspired by that and, 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 and move it into a global spotlight as some symbol from a, you know, has it inspired something else, yeah. then, then I kind of, that's the dynamic I like. And that's what I find most rewarding about, about what I do is, is, you know, that obscurity of where the inspiration comes from. Uh, and, and bringing, I don't know, giving it to, to a wider audience to not necessarily appreciate, but at least just put it out there. Yeah, brilliant. Cool. Thanks very much. Thank you, Mark. Very appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. You can check out Miles' work at newland.com. Also, you can go to Twitter and search Miles Newland. That is his handle, um, at Miles Newland. Just go and chat to him. He's a great guy and he knows his stuff. 20 years experience in the industry and well 20 plus years and it's um yeah he's a really really interesting person to talk to so yeah i hope you enjoyed the podcast if you are on itunes then please leave us a little bit of a review and um, that really really does help and same with youtube you just subscribe or, or you can leave a little comment thanks very much for listening um just say hello i want to get in touch with everyone who's listening as well so um it'd be great to connect with some of you thanks very much and i'll catch you in the next one